Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Fletcher, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to share this space with me and talk about your journey. I'm really excited to get to know you. I purposely didn't read a lot about you because I wanted it to just be fresh in our in our uh, conversation. So welcome. All right. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So in a story like yours, I like to go back to come forward. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've been triumphant. And uh, and before we get there, I want to talk a bit about your family dynamics. How many kids were in your family? Um, what was your relationship like with your mom and dad? Can you talk about that a little bit? For sure, for sure. So growing up, you know, I grew up in the South and I had that dynamic, you know, matriarch, Lydia and big mama and all that and everything. So even though I am my only child, uh, my father is the youngest of nine. So I have super amount of cousins, like cousins galore. And, you know, on both sides, I have huge family on both sides. My parents are still together. They've been married 35 years. And I think that played a role in my support system and my way of thinking, just being raised by both my parents, my father being, you know, the type of man that he is and the mother, the type of woman that she is raising me in that, in that Southern, you know, right, you know, you got to be in the house for the streetlights, come on. And, you know, all the, all the things in the South we learned just growing up. And I think that's a, gives me a hundred percent of the way I am. And I wouldn't be where I am without my support system and just, those people in my life, my grandmother raising me during the summer because my parents couldn't afford summer camp and just things like that. That's amazing. And and I have so much envy for people who were brought up in that way. You know, the whole Big Mama era. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dope and special. Yeah. What is it? Don't say it in Big Mama chair. You know, you know better than that. Oh. <laughs> I love that. Um, so if you had to come up with one theme, a theme to represent your life prior to your life changing experience, and going off to college prior to that, what would the theme be? Mm, the theme, I would say, I don't know, I've heard this more than once. Fletcher, what is wrong with you, son? That, that would be my theme. That would be my theme because even just gr- growing up, I always, I hated to be told I couldn't do something. Like, And I was just a very competitive individual. So once I realized I was physically gifted, I, had, I, t- I t- used it to my advantage. Like, I bet you $50 I could jump over that car. Fletcher, you cannot jump over the car. Put it, put bet on it. Really? And then I was jumping. But then there's a, like a, doing that in like, you know, in a parking lot of high schools and stuff. Principals are like, Fletcher, can you not jump over cars? Because if you fall, now we got to call the high school, explain to your mama why you jumping over car, you know, all that stuff. So it's like my, my parents are like, Fletcher, what is wrong with you? Why are you in school jumping over cars? <laughs> And so that, that is very funny. So then as a child, you realized you were a gifted athlete or was it more in high school that you started to see that? Uh, I really paid attention to it as a child growing up. I was just outside playing and running. Um, but then when I got to more competitive team sports, that's where I kind of realized it was kind of a gift and just challenged myself to continuously 
be better. You know, I, I, I always wanted to play with the older individuals because, like I say, growing up, I never noticed it because with me being an only child and my dad, the youngest of nine, all of my cousins are older than me. So to me, I thought I, I wasn't fast. I thought I wasn't, you know, inadequate because everybody else has always beat me. But they were five years older than me, you know, not really thinking about age and that. It doesn't matter. You want to play with us? You're going to win or you're going to lose. But then once I start playing with people my age, I'm like, y'all are terrible. <laughs> like, I'm better than all y'all. <laughs> you know, uh, your dad and I have something in common. I'm the youngest of nine as well. And, okay. and what did you notice? Because I'm sure people can tell things about me being the youngest. What do you notice mm-hmm. about your dad and his positioning in the family? Oh, that, that's that's my man's pots and pans. Yeah. I, I love that's my man's right there. Oh, uh, Jesse always wanting better for his family because uh, my dad, my mother is all a child as well. Yeah. So she kind of grew up like lower middle class, but my my father grew up like low, 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 lower middle class. So uh, he just realized like. You know, there's a story she told me was saying like, you know, I realized when I when my mama was pregnant with me and, you know, my father was like, look, I'm tired of being hot in the summer, cold in the winter. I'm tired of having to hide my tissue from my siblings because they steal it all the time. I'm tired of living like I'm tired of bugs and roaches. I'm tired of this. And, you know, I, he just said I didn't want my son to grow up in that environment. So, you know, he, I was blessed enough to he, well, he was blessed enough to have a mindset to continuously roll, uh, work. And moved us out of the, before I, before I could even understand, you know, poverty, I moved to the suburbs in the second grade. Mm. So, yeah, moving out there, it was just a tremendous eye-opening, more, more um, expectations, not expectations, more opportunities, which is, you know, I'm saying to say is, is, is what it is. The suburbs just offered more opportunities in the late 90s and the early 2000s than inner city schools did. And it made a tremendous outcome in my life and my future. Also, my mindset, you know, having that, and growing up, on Sundays and the weekends in, in the hood, so to speak. But then seeing, you know, the suburban lifestyle Monday through Friday with going to, you know, all, all white school or majority white schools and things, it kind of gave me the opportunity to see both sides and how what were the differences at a, at a young age. You said the, a few things that I want to grab onto, um, but, I, mm-hmm. you know, you did have the experience of being in vo- both environments. What did you learn from one environment that benefited you in the other? I guess learning in the inner city environment that, I guess being competitive, that was my thing. It just always, like I said, growing up with so many cousins, just being extremely competitive. That was one of the big things, because like I said, I was I was a lot younger, so I really didn't have any responsibilities. Uh, but also as realizing the education system wasn't the same, mm. you know, switching and then struggling in the beginning from going to making, you know, A's and B's to the inner city, then going to the suburban uh, schools. It was, you know, C's in the beginning. I'm like, it's just the school systems were different. It was, you know, I don't think that was fair, but also learning how to, I guess, co-change, you know, just kind of switch uh, proper up. English. Switch it up. Uh, yeah. What they call proper yeah. English, but we call regular English. Exactly. Regular English. It was like, you speak so clear. I'm like, normal English to me. Yeah. <laughs> but then you going back and you realize, hey, y'all kind of do chew y'all words up. So, you know, but, but you got to switch it up. You got to, you got to go and switch it up when you're with your people, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think what we've learned now that we didn't have access to even, you know, as young as you are, is that we have pride in our AAV. 
We don't have mm-hmm. to feel ashamed of what we do with our language. You know, back then, even as young as you are, back then, you were taught that, you know, to be ashamed of the language you grew up with and to switch it up in order to, you know, thrive. But at the same time, I hope you eventually learn that what what we do is fine by us. You know, that absolutely. Mean? Yeah, you just all been comfortable within your skin. Mm-hmm. And also man, living in the inner city that is, I, I t- kind of took with me is like being, it's kind of not, not a good thing to say, but like being aware of your surroundings and always having to keep like, like who was that walking towards us? Y'all know him, you know? But in the, in the, when you get to suburb, like they was just, just walking up the strangers and getting kidnapped. Yeah. I was like, my mom ain't going for them. Like, so do you know this man? Uh, I know that person. I'm not going with you. We both go get in trouble. There's nothing funny that about that. And yet everything's funny about that. They were just walking up exactly. to people getting kidnapped. Exactly. I, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not funny. It's, you know what I'm saying? But it's yeah. like, like, why would you walk up to a stranger? Uh, talk like other kid, people talking to them. Uh-huh. I was like, I didn't go. My mama told me, I had called my mama. Ex- That's so fascinating. Like, we just, they would say, wait, so we're going to the movies. Okay, let me call my mama. Bro, you just can't go with us? Not without permission. <laughs> I just can't go to the movies with y'all without them knowing y'all crazy. Y'all get me killed. <laughs> it's so interesting, the that dynamic of which you speak, the idea that it was ingrained in you what you needed to do mm-hmm. to be in that black body in that life. Like, even though you were in the suburban lifestyle, don't trip, Fletcher. Remember where you came from. And you managed to hang exactly. on to that, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. Just because they can go, you can't go. Why well, can't go? Because I said right. so. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I tell you, boy, there's something about the old school rule book. I know there's a progressive way of doing things differently, but when I hear stories like that, it's like there's a place for it. You know that that brought you yeah. to where you are. I remember vividly, um, like when I started driving about 16, 15 years old. They said I couldn't go somewhere, some party. Some of my friends that were on the football team, they was like, bro, just take the car. Are you out your mind? You want me to just take my daddy car? Is you crazy? <laughs> you learned the lessons oh, well. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know how y'all grew up, but they ain't going to fly in my household. <laughs> or you'll fly out of your household. Exactly. I won't be here tomorrow. I'll be off the team. <laughs> That's great. So, Fletcher, you know, I want to get back to the question that it sounds like every adult in your life asked you when you were younger. What was wrong with you? How come you felt the need to break the rules and do what you did? I think so. There's a consensus of like, well, I never got in like any quote unquote big trouble, but I was like breaking wind, throwing rocks. And so why would you throw rocks? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I don't know. So why are you putting firecrackers in the mailbox? I don't know. Well, since you don't know, you ain't going nowhere until you know. And, and when you think back on that, do you have any, I, I mean, I have an idea of why you were the way you were, but I'm curious if it's the same as what I think, your idea. What do you mean? Well, okay, for example, I would say that you, let me say it clear. You were the way you were, so you can be where you are now. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Team sports and the way I was rendered definitely gave me the mindset of facing all the obstacles I face today. Mm-hmm. you never given up. And my father tell him, you know, when you start something, don't quit. Don't think you're inadequate just because you look different. You know, you can make the same grades they make. You can do the same stuff they do. You can, you know, all the things like you ain't got to think you're uh, inferior or something like that. So taking that mentality and transitioning into sports, which then transitioning to my disability mm-hmm. got me to where I am today. So 
Okay, so I want to go to, let's get into it and set it up. Freshman mm-hmm. year, you're feeling, sounds like pretty confident. Uh, you arrive on campus and you go into your classes. Talk about that entry point. Well, I had been on campus already four months prior because okay. I graduated in May and I left uh, to go to school two days after high school graduation. Because I knew with me being on a football scholarship, I had to get my body prepared for the upcoming season. Because the season starts right when college starts for the most part, maybe like a week or two later. So the football team has been on campus months before students get there. Um, but we didn't have to report until 4th of July. That was mandatory report. But I chose to go two months early. Well, May, June, yeah, two months early just to kind of be so competitive. It's like, all right, everybody else probably kicking and partying. They ain't going to start until 4th of July. I'm going to already be two months ahead of everybody by the time they get here. So uh, I had been on campus, you know, months prior and kind of knew my way around. But when school started, you know, you're finally getting that. I'm finally a, a college student. You know, all the things they have been telling us since freshman year of high school, of, you prepare for college, nobody's going to let it hold your name. Make sure you got your schedule. You got to wake up. Make sure you got your dorm in tech. All the stuff I had been prepared for and looking forward to for the next four years of my life, we're finally here. I'm going to my classes. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I got my new clothes on, got my cologne on. The girls on campus, I'm hanging out in the UC, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good. So uh, it was an eye-opening experience to finally be where I saw myself being for the past four years of high school. I'm sure that that was uh, a surreal experience, it sounds like, where you were finally there and it was coming to fruition. And then will you talk about the day that your life changed, like what led up to it and what happened? Yeah, we were at practice that morning, you know, same routine, study hall, uh, wake up 5 a.m. workouts. You got weights at 7, class from 8.30 to noon. Then you got downtime film. So same routine I had been doing for the past two weeks, actually being in class. Mm-hmm. It was the first NFL game of the season, September 10th, 2009. It was the Pittsburgh Steelers versus Tennessee Titans. Uh, my roommate, Dane, it was a Pittsburgh fan. And with me being from Memphis, you know, I was like, I'm rooting for the home team, Tennessee. And so I was like, hey, man, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Let's watch the game when we get out of study hall. He was like, man, Fritz, I really, he's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be like in the thick of it with everybody hanging out. And he was kind of a shyer than I was and just now nah, I really don't feel like going. I'm like, man, look, I had just got a, I had just got a car for high school graduation. I was like, look, I got the car. Come on, man, we going. He was like, all right, Fletch, I'll go. So we go to Buffalo Wild Wings. It's super packed. We just like, hey, let's just get the wings to go. Just watch them in the UC with you know the rest of the team. And it was like, all right, cool. So we get in the car, get the wings to go, put my seatbelt on, same routine I've done a hundred times. And on the way to the door, a lady was texting and driving, not paying attention. And she crosses over the double yellow line and she's headed straight towards us. And I saw her coming, I panicked, I swore, I overcorrected, tried to swerve to miss her, spun out of control, hit a guardrail. And then once we hit the guardrail, we flipped several times and in the process of flipping the roof caved in and broke my neck in two places and i was paralyzed and knocked unconscious immediately i am so sorry about that experience that is horrific and so what happened to your passenger yeah so he was partially ejected from the vehicle so when the car was turmoiling he was ejected through the window or some i don't know what entry or exit point and the car landed when it was rolling it landed on top of his arm and he was just trying to pull his arm to get out but in the process of trying to pull his arm, he ended up basically ripping his arm off. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. I had to like do multiple surgeries to reattach it and uh, do all the things that he had. He's, you know, he's doing his own journey. Yeah. But he's 
doing well now, now, 13 years later, he's doing pretty well. And so, metaphorical. two things. One, did you two stay connected? I want to get into your recovery, but I want to know, you know, when you started to on your journey of recovery, did you two stay connected? Yeah, absolutely. That's my, that's my man's positive parents. I was actually, he just got married this past June. I was the best man in his wedding. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. That is amazing. We both are 32 years old. And, you know, of course, from 18, you kind of, you go from talking every day to every other day. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get in your routine when you're 21, 25, 28. You know, you get his girl, his wife, and because he lives in D.C. and I live here. So we go, you know, of course, we kind of not grew apart, but what's going on our own directions in life. Yeah. But we still contact, come see each other and kick it. We had a ball catching up. and It, it was a fantastic time. That is so amazing. I love that. Talk a bit about mm-hmm. your recovery and the support you received. And also, did you have any mental health engagement after this traumatic experience? Um, my recovery birth physically was you know, harder than mentally, because I had mentally, like through my growing, my rendering, I had always been taught to never give up. So I already knew what was a, what the battle was going to be. Is this going to be a hard battle? Never give up. I'm going to just keep fighting. always trying to prove people wrong. Just keep doing what you've been through. And Fletcher, just take it from uh, inner city school stuff or in suburbia stuff, from that football stuff, and now you use it towards this. So, I, and that's what I did. Uh, but it was just, I wouldn't say it was a mental struggle, but there were dark days where because you go from being a collegiate athlete to being a quadriplegic where, you know, most of your body is don't work and you're just so used to being physically gifted. You know, I've always said, like, growing up, you know, you hang out at the movies. If something happened, I'll just run. I can I run everybody. Mm-hmm. But then not being able to do that and not being able to defend myself or whatever the case may be. And it was kind of a kind of a mental day, you know, dark, dark day, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the beginning but. It took me maybe five days to get over it. And it was like, hey, man, look, this is the this is the problem. What's the solution? Now let's fix it. All right. This, this is what we're faced with. This is the obstacle. Now it's time to put your big boy draws on and get to it. Wow. That's incredible. I have to tell you. You said right after that, your parents lost their job. My God, how did you manage? What, what did that look like? Um, I didn't know it until years later because... You know, with being me being in the hospital therapy, they kind of kept the financial struggles away from me. I'm like, why don't that work no more? Don't worry about that, son. You just go to therapy. Yeah. You know, don't worry about all that. You know, they would, you know, hey, we took off uh, your accident or everything was going on now. We, our job understands. But lo and behold, they actually got let go. Uh, my dad my dad actually knew he was losing his job. and His job was moving to Vegas. So his last day was like November. Uh, but when my car crash happened in September, they just paid him out for the rest of the two months and was like, hey, go be, you know, with your son. Okay. Uh, so he was prepared. But my mother, just through the process, you know, she lost her job. And I kind of was like, well, you should have been around a lot more lately, you know. But she was like, oh, son, you worry about the wrong thing. You need to be worried about therapy. I was like, okay. And I haven't paid no attention to it. So to this day, have they ever told you how they, oh. yeah, they told you how they made, how they managed to get you through and them through all of that? Yeah, and it's just by the grace of Big G. I call God Big G, oh, yeah. so just by the grace of Big G. Um, you know, they said, they told me, it was like, hey, we were, because, you know, the mortgage was still due, so there was like, we were thinking about selling the house and, you know, renovating my my mother's mother's or my grandmother's house and it was moving in with her or what, you know, they did went through different plans, but, you know, my dad ended up finding a job. My mother ended up finding a job that allowed her to work 
from Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I was stationed at in therapy. And just that whole process, you know, of them going through 401ks and having rating funds and stuff that they went through that I'm very appreciative of now that I'm a lot older and I know what type of uh, sacrifice that takes to do that, that type of, you know, commitment. But, you know, one thing they always said, it was like, son, like, you are a son. What do you, what do you, what do you think we was going to do? Like, you know, that's what you suppose. That's what parents are supposed to do for their children. Like you're supposed to sacrifice for your children. You're supposed to. And it's like, you know, that's what they say. But you see a lot of parents who are sacrificing, you know, who are being, I'm not as blessed or not as blessed as I am to have the type of parents that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. Your parents were old school, uh, what the ancestors taught them. You just, you do what you got to do because you have to do it. There wasn't a lot of time to think about feeling a certain kind of way. They had to be there for their son. And that, that's, I, again, just, I, you know, flabbergasted. I, I really am just amazed at your story and how your family stayed together. You know how many families are broken up by a tragedy? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, within therapy, just seeing other teenagers going through that. And their parents didn't make it through it, you know, you know, reaching out. I was like, hey, man, how you been doing? You know, after we left therapy. Oh, yeah, I live with my dad now. My parents ended up getting a divorce. I'm like, dang, it's hard to hear that. Yeah. You know, it, but it's a, if you don't, you know, I, I, I've never been married, so I don't know. But I just couldn't imagine just dealing with that and then marriage problems or if you're already having marriage problems and that happens and, or, you know, financially prepared for something like that. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of parents are, I admit, uh, you'd be surprised of how many people I've met that are going through what they're going through on, then on other stuff as well. A uh, young man I met left school to get some McDonald's and ended up having a car crash, you know, during the process, became paralyzed, a single mother just couldn't afford home renovations. So they had to put him in a nursing home at age 19 years old. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine being in a nursing home at 19, you know, it's like. Dude, what you, I, I just I couldn't imagine that, you know. So when you consider gratitude as one of the the uh, grounding forces in your life, it, it makes sense mm-hmm. that that's how you were able to thrive. You know, you had you had perspectives. What I want to say, you had perspective. You've been seeing watching them sacrifices also gave me motivation to never give up. So when you watch somebody sacrifice that much for you, and just to see you be successful. I can't quit just because they've sacrificed. Like, if I quit on myself, that means I'd be quitting on them and all their sacrifice would be for nothing. So I'm like, no, nah, I got to, I I got to graduate college. You know, my mama waking up at five in the morning and getting me dressed. My dad then taking me to college, dropping me off. My mama coming to pick me up on her lunch break, then taking me to my dad's job. And then on his lunch break, he taking me from his job home. Like, all the, and my, you know, my dad picking me up and putting me in the vehicle. My mom breaking my chair down in the rain, you know, and all this stuff is, it was like, yeah. And that's why I did it. Cause watching them get older and watching them, you know, bend over, pick me up. I kind of watched them like have more back problems and knee problems. Mm. I was like, if you want your parents to have a, feel, a longevity, you got to start driving. You got to graduate. You got to get a job. You got to move out. You got to, cause you, you know, look what you're doing to your parents, man. Wow. And I just had that you know, talk to myself and it, it kept me going. I'm running out of words for just this story. I mean, it is a book, you know, so so it's no wonder because it is a book. In the end, you became the wheelchair nomad. Talk about this transformation process. Being an only child and then never wanted the feeling of being left out. Like with my cousins, like we go to the store. I want to go too, you know, so 
uh, that type of mentality growing up uh, when I was in therapy. I wasn't, uh, you know, I missed my entire freshman year, my first freshman year because I was in therapy. So I'm on Facebook watching them go to spring break in Panama, watching them go to football games and yard shows and, and pledging and having all this fun of homecoming. And I'm like, I want to do that too. So I, I went back to school. I got into the college life. They were going to spring breaks and I couldn't fly and go that long of a distance because I had just newly injured. But my friends, being a great support system that they are, we went to Nashville one uh, spring break just to kind of make a getaway. And it was a fantastic opportunity. It was the first time I've ever been away from my parents for a day, multiple days at one time. And just being around them and kicking it and hanging out, it was so much fun. So we just, they just sacrificed and was like, all right, what do we need to do to make to flesh and get on the plane? So we kind of went through the medical process. So they did that. So, you know, long story short, we still, we went to, we took a 15 passenger van to, it was 12 of us to Mardi Gras. And that was a fantastic experience. We did that again. We went to Dallas. That was for him. So then we started getting on planes. We go to LA, we go to Vegas, we go to Miami, we go to all these places. And I'm posting pictures and just doing what everybody else is doing. Hey, out in Vegas with my people, out in Atlanta with my friends, you know, and you kind of start getting notoriety of being an inspiration. Like, hey, this when this guy just hurt six years ago, now he all in Vegas and <laughs> LA and doing this and this and that. And I, I think I posted in one travel group and somebody was like, Fletch, you everywhere. you like a nomad. <laughs> and just me being the person I am, I'm like, yeah, I'm the wheelchair nomad. So I started hashtagging my posts is the wheelchair nomad, the wheelchair nomad, and posted in travel groups. Then I started traveling out of the country and doing the same thing, posting videos and travel. Uh, things. And then this, I know it kind of caught on because caught on, once I started going out of the country, it kind of got a broad um, a horizon, a broadened view and an audience. So I'm starting getting like 10,000 likes, 5,000 shares. Mm. And I go to Taste of Chicago. And at this time, I've probably been to four countries. I go to the Taste of Chicago and my cousins were going to a nightclub. They give me out the truck, put me in my wheelchair and I'm getting my cologne on, getting ready to go in. And a lady comes up and she was like, excuse me, are you the wheelchair nomad? And I'm like, but you know that. She was like, I've seen you. I've been following you for four years, like so many years. I've seen your post when you went to Dubai and Italy and Paris and you're such a racing. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a thing now. I got to keep it going. And, uh, that's a great story. So when somebody says, you know, you have a disability, you're disabled, what, what does that mean to you? Because I've been really listening to people who are physically challenged or differently able tell say what helps them and what hurts them. How do you respond to that? Um, so I'm not very, that stuff that doesn't bother me, like the verbiage. Only word I do not appreciate is crippled. Like, I think that's, that's I don't know, it just, it just grounds my gears, you know. Does anybody, people still use that? Exactly. I'm like, you still use that 1985 <laughs> word? Like, like I'm saying, I've been in situations like they they mean no harm. Like, sir, do you need to get through? I'm like, yeah. I was like, thank you. You know, be like, excuse me, excuse me, cripple coming through. I'm what? like, there you just, just gonna say it out loud, huh? Saying the quiet part out loud. That is horrible. Exactly. But other than that, like disabled or mobility challenges, all that, that doesn't bother me. So, because I have thick skin, like they grow up in the south, mm-hmm. you gotta have thick skin. You know, so that doesn't bother me at all. But. Some people it bothers. I think you just should be respectful and see what they would like to be uh, identified as and use whatever term they would like to use. That makes sense. So then you started the Sky is Not the Limit organization. Will you talk about that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. So and when I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital 10 days. So I remember being in ICU. And when the doctor came in, he told me, you know, told my family, ah, yes, Fletcher is paralyzed. He won't be able to do X. He won't be able to do Y. He won't be able to do Z. He starts going down with some things I won't be able to do. And my mind immediately reverted back to when I was told I was too small to play high school football. I was too small to get a full scholarship. I was too small to play as a true freshman. All these no's that people had been telling me my entire life that I've overcome, this was just another no I had to prove them wrong. So I remember laying and thinking about, you know, being upset. Like, who was he to tell me what I can and can't do? He don't know me. He don't know the struggles I've been through. He's trying to put limits on my life and just playing like words, trying to put limits on my life, limitations. And at this phrase, just the sky's the limit popped in my head, the sky's the limit. And I started thinking, it's like, the sky's not the limit because there's footprints on the moon. Mm. So I think at the bottom of my book, we came up with the phrase like, don't tell me the sky's the limit when there's footprints on the moon, which basically means that there are no limitations to what you can achieve. There are no limitations to what you can accomplish. The only limitations are the ones you impose on yourself. Mm-hmm. So you are the author of your own story. So I, I refuse to let anyone put limitations on my life. Like I'm the only one that can that knows what I can and can't do because our football coach used to tell us the same all the time. The person who says they can and the person who says they can't are both right. Which one will you be? So I, choo- I chose to be the person who says they can and uh, started the, the sky is not the limit. Sky's, oh, did I say sky is the limit? I'm sorry. Did I say it wrong? You said it correctly. I okay. was just emphasizing. Uh, emphasizing on the not. I got it. No, I feel you. If there was one message you wanted parents and adolescents to hear, what would that be? I would say, understand that adversity happens to everybody. Adversity happens to me, you, your mama, your sister, your daddy, your cousin too. But because my grandma said, if you, ain't, if you ain't been through nothing in life, that means you ain't lived long enough. So understand you, adversity is going to happen. It's part of life. It's part of ups and downs, but it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond to it. How are you going to respond when you're 18 years young and become paralyzed? How are you going to respond when you don't get into that college? You get let go from your job. You go through that divorce or whatever the case may be. You know, and, cho- and I chose to respond in a positive manner. The glass is always half full versus half empty. It can always be worse. And, you know, I think that you should approach life or approach every situation in the exact same way. So it's like, you know, it's not about what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond to it. You know, don't be, don't let your current circumstances dictate your future. So you may be without employment at this moment, though. You may be going through a divorce or you may be in the inner city. You may be whatever the case may be. Don't let your current circumstances dictate your future. You can always make a better tomorrow. Wow. You're too much, Fletcher. You really are. I, I am just, you've, you've left me speechless a few times in this conversation. Before we end, will you do me a favor and tell everybody where they can get your book, hire you for public speaking, your website, social media? All- yeah, you can uh, hit me up on FletcherCleaves.com uh, so that you can find all my social media handles there, my book, merchandise, more in-depth about my story, my AT&T commercials on there. My t- I did a TED Talk that is also on there uh, about the dangers of distracted driving. And the wheelchair nomad, there's blog posts about my experience of being disabled black uh, person in Europe, which is our opening within itself. There's, you know, first of all, it's like being American, then being a black American, then being a disabled black American. You mm. know, it's like, it was just, uh, you know, it's just our opening experience. I talk about that in there. There's a whole lot of stuff. So I would say go to FletcherCleaves.com and just browse around and see, see something you like. You can contact me for speaking engagements or if you just want to tell me your story.
Have a lot of people reached out to you to share their story? And what was that like for you if they have? Yeah, a lot of people have uh, reached out or they come up to me after the presentations. It was like, man, there was such inspiration. Sometimes it's, you know, heartfelt. Sometimes it's like, did you really tell me that? Like, for instance, and these are mostly high school students saying stuff like this. It was like, yeah. He's like, you broke your neck, right? I'm like, yeah. And they say, yeah, I know what you're going through. I broke my ankle once. I'm like, not the same, bro. I give it to Charles. Yeah. It's not the same. Trying um, to relate to you in their limited capacity. Mm, I get it. I don't try to. One thing I did have to learn is that not to diminish someone else's triumphs because I've been through something so traumatic. Mm -hmm. So it's like, like, hey, I broke my ankle. I'm like, that's it? You know, like, you know what I had to do? I was at ICU for four days. Yeah. Not to diminish other people's, um, you know, triumphs because I've been through something so traumatic. So I just take it as a whole. How was that experience for you? You know, but then I've had really eye-opening experience. Like I got an email, a lady from Canada that was going through like cancer. She saw the AT&T commercial and she wrote me this email and how and I'll research your story and you make me want to never give up. I'm going to continuously fight. I was, I was close to the end, but after reading your story, Fletcher, you made me want to continuously fight and give up. And last time I checked, you know, she was doing well. I haven't heard from her in a couple of years, but Last time I checked, she was doing well. So just having that type of impact, just knowing that me just being me, because I never wanted to be inspirational. I never wanted to be, you know, a beacon of light. I just didn't like to be told no. Mm-hmm. I just, just got being normal flex. But it was in the, the path of the journey of being me, I became an inspiration. And I'm just so happy that something so simple as being myself can help so many people change lives. Well, the fact that you think it's simple is a testament to who you are. Because, you know, the idea that I just can't get over the fact that when you were a kid, they were saying, what is wrong with you? And what is wrong with you, sorry. And how that played out, you know, you were preparing for this. That's what was wrong with you. Just that's what's wrong. Yeah. You know, Big G was prepared for greater. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Fletcher, mm-hmm. is there any last statement, word, message you want to offer before I, I close this out? Hmm. I got one. Okay. Question is, I'm going to ask everybody out there in podcast land, how big would you dream if you knew you couldn't fail? If you knew failure was impossible, how big would you dream? What would you dream for? If a genie came in, so you get three wishes, whatever you want. You want to be a doctor, whatever. You want to be an athlete, you want a million, whatever, whatever. And whatever your answer is, start doing that today. Like stop being afraid to fail. Everything you wanted in life is on the other side of fear. Everything you want in life is on the other side of I don't feel like it. Uh, so once you, yeah, so I don't feel like it. And once you get past of being afraid, your greatest success is right up around the corner. And, and success is as you define it. And you've defined it in a way that is spectacular mm-hmm. and amazing mm-hmm. to learn about. And I hope that um, people, you know, continue to reach out to you as much as you can handle it. Because I think it is amazing when you have someone tell you what you mean to them. I think that's such mm-hmm. a gift for you and you deserve that. You know, what you're doing. Thank you, I appreciate yeah, what you're doing is, you know, it is unselfish. It is because, you know, you're using your story to make a difference in others' lives. And that's that's to be commended always. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I just, I recently just made a career out of it. People think, oh, first I've been speaking. Well, I, I've been speaking for a while, but I also had like a real job, so to speak. <laughs> and you know, I just started charging, re- well, not recently, probably in the last four years, 
and other speakers talking to them. It was like, I was just excited to do it. Like, I was just happy to be doing it in front of audiences and somebody wants to hear my story. So I remember going to Denver one time and I went out there. The guy said he would buy my plane ticket to come out there and give her to speak. I was like, sure, you can buy a plane ticket and food? Yeah, I'll go. Like, yeah, I'll be there. I just talked to the speaker and he, I went before him and he was like, man, place that was one of the best presentations I've ever heard. He was like, who's your agent? What are you talking about? My agent. I was like, you don't have an agent? And he was like, how much do you charge? I don't charge nothing. He was like, you were here for free? I was like, yeah, my plane ticket. He was like, oh, no, Fletcher, you got an AT&T commercial. You've been speaking on college campuses. You got to start charging people. And I'm like, you think people don't pay for real? And I was like, well, what would you think? So people would pay. That was like, it was like at least 5000 I was like, dollars? <laughs> like, running for real? You're right here for play tickets and dining sandwiches. You know? So I was like, is that people really pay? He was like, man, look. He was nice enough. He was like, look how much I've gotten paid for the past 10 species. And I was like, they pay you just in real American dollars. This is crazy. Yeah. So here he just speak for one hour. I was like, oh, yeah, I ain't doing something right. You know? Well, you're doing it right now, like, but... To yeah, I'm trying to trying to keep it afloat. You know, COVID was definitely a hard oh yeah, uh, to speak. But you know, trying to trying to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Well, Fletcher, you have had more life experience in your journey than many adults have had in their entire lifetime, which has also included significant trauma. You remind us of some things that are you know it's it's so thought provoking, and it's also you know it's it it leaves people speechless because what do you say in response to this kind of you know comeback? Like this, this is, this is just incredible. I feel like I'm using the same words, but it's very heartfelt. And, you know, like the, the main thing you remind us of is how unpredictable life is, you know, and, and how you yeah. have to pivot, right? It's all about, you have to practice your yeah. pivot because when you need it, you know, like this, you really have to use it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, that was whatever September 10th, 2009 was whatever, maybe a Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day it was. I had my whole week planned out. I was like, hey, I'm up. Go to class on Thursday, Friday. I'm gonna kick it on Saturday. Go out to the movies on Sunday. You know, you know, you know, we get so caught up planning our entire lives that we get to, and then we when something happens, you know, all that stuff is canceled. Yeah. Like boom, X. I was in the hospital that night. No more movies on Sunday. No more practice. No more school. No more none of that. It's a whole different journey. Life can change in a blink of an eye. That's why I try to be so present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like I try to live in the present and just enjoy what's in front of me. Because it can be gone in a second. Look, brother, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for making time. I I don't have five thousand dollars to pay you, but I I appreciate sharing your story and the idea that you know we're yeah I want to say that you're an inspiration, but I also don't want to minimize that. So what I'll say is that I have so much respect for what you've done, and just once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And I- Appreciate you. And like I said, I do stuff like this for free because I just genuinely enjoy doing it and reaching out to people and meeting new people. And hopefully someone's out there that might hears my story and help them get over their obstacle. Absolutely. Well, be well and I'll be in touch. All right. Have a good All right. Thanks again. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.